I'm Silas Howard, and I am doing the artist takeover for Launch Left today. And I am interviewing one of my favorite artists, triple threat, you know, writer, video maker, sculpture, what do you call it? Sculpturer? Sculptor. <laughs> my best friend since I was like 18 years old. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a director, writer, was a musician for many years in a punk band called Tribe 8. And uh, yeah, Harry and I made our first movie ever called By Hook or By Crook. And we're going to talk about some various topics, including the intersection of art and activism. And, uh, you know, I could start off with a question, Harry, and then you could okay. ask me a question. But thinking about this, what I, what I love about, you know, our friendship and, and just the decades of, of art and activism that we've shared together is we're very different beasts, you know, uh, you know, of the same political you know, goal and leanings, but we have different approach in terms of our identity and uh, the ways we do our art. But one thing that's always struck me about your work is that the uh, the emotion that it brings up, and, and it makes me, you know, think about the art in activism, you know, because I have one mind that keeps it totally separate. The art is one thing, the activist, activism is another, but I don't think it's as neat as that. You know, Amanda Gorman at the inauguration uh, day, you know, just the, the role of the poet, the role of the artist, in times of war and in difficult times as ways to deal with things. And, and as someone who's part of a world that's you know been marginalized and seeing myself on screen or things that we've done to get ourselves on screen is satisfying on one level and also can be kind of scary. You could, there can be backlash or it can make people feel like, oh, I, I watched the movie and so I, I had a feeling, so maybe I did something, you know, when, it, when I, so those, that's the other mindset that I have about art and activism being mixed up, which is that it doesn't mean, you know, it can humanize people, but then there's the follow-up of, of, you know, the activism. So those are just the first things I wanted to toss out at you and see what your thoughts were about it. Yeah, thanks for that question and that question comment. Um, um, it's a, I think, you know, it's a sort of fascinating and it's actually something I've thought about for years. I think that when we were making, uh, you know, that movie together and, and, the, and the sort of performances that I was making, you know, just sort of before that period, I really was mainly interested in the tool, you know, of narrative and the, and the, the, and sort of connecting with people on an emotional level um, to, you know, for various, uh, for various end, end, end goals. So story is good for that. As you've said, you know, we sort of emailed about this and um, so, you know, and, and so I sort of acknowledged that there was like a, a strange point, um, uh, 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 sometime after we made By Hook or By Crook, um, remember you went off to film school at UCLA and I went off to art school um, at Bard uh, College. And, um, you know, we sort of went in different directions. It was right then in a way. Um, and it was from that, uh, that, that sort of long experience of getting that movie together um, and, and sort of the, um, the sort of aftermath of that as well. And, um, you know, I started to have different sort of interests that were in some ways more, more structural and, and a lot more abstract in some ways. And I was moving away from story in a general sort of way. So just to pull it all together, though, my work and this, for example, this book I just wrote still uses story and narrative as, as, as abstract and philosophical and sort of like weirdly cosmic as my interests have become. 
um, they, they really sort of still use uh, narrative as a tool. Um, and so it is a powerful thing, but um, you know, I think that there's a, mm, there's a, I think I, uh, I'm, I'm interested in um, making space for art to be itself, whatever the artist may be wanting to do right then. And then sort of like a push at it with a different set of, um, of parameters um, and, and not necessarily make it have to do the work of acti- activism because it can't, you know, it's, it's somehow um, impeded or diluted by these other kinds of pressures that we put on art, you know, poetics and mystery and th- these other kinds of things we, we, we push at it with and where, where activism um, can and should be uh, very often quite direct and, and quite, uh, uh, quite direct and quite efficient, you know, hopefully. Um, and effective is what I meant to say, quite effective is what I meant. And, um, you know, they're different things. So I feel like sometimes they overlap um, and sometimes they don't. And and I like the idea that we don't push at one to be the other. Um, but yeah, I think um, what's interesting is is also where they do overlap. And, um, you know, I, I feel like there's, there's a, a part of your practice, um, you know, that, that, that where they do, there is a kind of uh, overlap. And I'm, you know, I'm always impressed by that. Well, yeah, we're kind of very opposite in the ways, the direction we went after our first film that was, you know, premiered at Sundance or various festivals and was just an odd movie. I mean, it was as narrative as we could get. And we thought it was super narrative, but, um, but because it was so odd, it's, it seemed to hold up well on test of time. But then, you know, I've gone in this very narrative way. And I, I think of narrative as dangerous in a way. I think there's the power to repeat and trauma uh, so easily, especially, you know, I'm now in this TV world and, uh, you know, you've gone in this more experimental art world and, and, and then now with your first book, which I want to talk about. But again, the narrative part of your experimental work is what I've always felt so connected to. And I think that with activism, the humanness can get lost, ironically, that we can, we can have a political correctness but not an emotional one and it can be hard to to connect and it can just feel but I do think it's both I feel like we're such a society that wants to make things left right you know uh you know everything binary and um but we're very polarized right now and and really want and sort of going for purity too in some way um yeah and perfectionism which I can't be perfect I can only live in a world that I can make mistakes because that's 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 where all the learning and, but also all the great experiments. Like when I'm on set, I try to fuck up a take. Like if we have it, I'm like, well, let's, let's be bold enough to try something that doesn't work. You know, that's my goal. But, um, but so that perfectionism is really hard. And I just, I just live in the gray all the time uh, in my personal life. And, but yeah, just thinking about, I went in this very narrative way, which I find very humanizing at its best and, and, and very repeating of terrible tropes at its worst, you know, where it just is embedding and repeating filming the same thing and when I was teaching at California it was you know an LGBTQ at-risk youth shelter and they were doing this film program with me through Tribeca film and they wanted to do this one story about a young queer kid or trans kid that was coming out to their parents who accepted them because of their religion not not uh you know he rejected and I said that's interesting because that's not been your experience and they were like yeah we've seen our experience like we need we need the next experience. We need to see, like they were trying to model for us how to be better parents, you know, how to, so I just think there's that, that the narrative is dangerous. And for me, I think it's very dangerous in terms of who's at the center and who's controlling that story is either going to be very profound or, or going to repeat things. And so, you know, working, we, we 
came of age in the middle of the AIDS pandemic. And so not entirely unlike now, it was, uh, you know, this idea of a future was not really available to us. And so we had to really live in the moment differently. We, we took risks, no one expected anything from us. So we really couldn't fail, you know, so we got to do a lot of bad art, a lot of good art. And, uh, but I think about that a, a lot in terms of in these times, you know, we're trying to just find this connection, you know, cause it, it's, it's just so hostile to be, uh, find your way in the world with, uh, with all of these rules get more and more entrenched, you know, in terms of how, just how brutal it's, I mean, I think we're just at a point in this country where it, this country has to deal with the truth about itself and it, I don't think it ever has. So that's, that's yeah. a tough time, you know? And, and the thing about, you know, you brought up representation. Um, uh, the thing about representation too, like, um, looking uh for um 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 you know looking <laughs> the idea that something could be represented um you know is is um you know it's it's a thing that it was in my head for a long time especially when we were making our movie and 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 before and as a kid and looking for these sort of images um you know of butches or tomboys or in between or people whatever you know whatever word it is that i'm using on any given day and you know and not not necessarily seeing that and and then so it was sort of like problematized right it was up yeah. for us and i would um, just add um i mean i for myself i'm trans and i identify that way and i call you know like, because people watching this may or may not know it may not matter but i know you have a different relationship to that identity and how much you talk about it but i i just thinking about that i'm like oh yeah that's i'm okay even though it's reductive at times like it's by seventh on the list of things that's interesting about me. It's, but it's not the top thing that's exactly. interesting. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, but I think it's important to, um, to say it because of, of all of a sudden I was passing and it, it was not the goal. It was kind of a different lens on society, but anyway, I didn't want to interrupt you. I just, in terms of talking about representation, I realized it's important for me to state that I'm trans so that it. Well, yeah. Know. And, and sort of snowballing onto that is exactly what I'm saying, which is, you, you, you know, uh, it takes so much, as we both know, to get a, a book written or a movie made uh, or, a, or a, a Broadway show up or an off-Broadway show or whatever kind of, you know, a, a medium that you're working in. It just is a lot. And so to do that, especially with, a, you know, when, you, when it's character driven, um, is, is um, so difficult. And then yet yeah, it's one uh, representation. It's one character. And so for, for all of those people who are waiting, um, it's almost bound to be somewhat disappointing. Like you're still entering into this process of disidentification in some ways. You mean for so, the other stories that are yet to be told? Do you mean like exact story, but right. we're not a monolith, so we're not representing, we're just representing our, you know, experience, very personal life experience. Yeah, yeah and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm interested in that. I'm interested in knowing that as an artist. It's okay just to represent my experience. It's the one I know. And it's the one um, that I'm prepared, you know, to be specific about, for me anyway. Um, and, then, um, and then also as a viewer, uh, not necessarily expecting other people uh, to make a character that's gonna be uh, uh, fully doing all the work that I wish it were doing or something, you know, to represent me or whatever. So, so all of that I think is, is, is as a viewer, um, and as an artist, I think it's really interesting for me to keep in mind. And it, and it sort of lays over, kind of structurally lays over to this other thing that was happening when I was writing um, my, my meteorite, this this book that just came when out I, in March. Yeah, um, I was going to say, you want to do a proper introduction of it? Because it's a beautiful book. And it, again, it touches on all of the uh, 
yeah, there is narrative in that. And there's just this powerful vulnerability that is con connective and, and yet all of this amazing theoretical, uh, you know, just how we are interconnected and you can, yes, this is the book. Yeah, now we're doing a free commercial. But no, it's commercial. But you know what I was going to say was um, sort of changing the subject. You know, there there's an interesting way that in that uh, while I was writing, I kept um, pretending. I guess I was pretending. I was pretending that I was writing fiction, uh, and so I wanted to write. It's kind of like we did by hook or by crook, where, where you're sort of drawing on things from your life because they come to you in very specific ways. You have these kind of visual memories that you can draw from and, and write a script or or create create things, you know, and I was doing that with the book. Um, yeah. But I kept thinking, well, I don't necessarily have to tell the whole truth and I don't have to tell things I don't want to. But I also did this other thing, which is resist the urge to make my character uh, flawless, you know, sort of perfect or without, without troubles, you know, because when I watch a movie or read a book, I want that character to be um, flawed. I, yeah. I love someone who's That's messed up and they're doing the wrong thing again. And, you know, they no, have all these neuroses and yeah, complexes. Yeah. That's who I want to read about, you know? So yeah. I was like, you better, you know, you better write, make sure that this character is not perfect, you know? No, so I kept so thinking funny. of the character, even though it's called Harry, I kept thinking of it as a character in a book. And I wanted to make the, the book interesting and resist the urge to do that. And, um, you know, that's really interesting as well, because, you know, it's just slightly related structurally where um, people read it and they 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 think that there's somehow that this book is actually representing, you know, me or my life or one's life, you know, but it's actually it's it's a work of art, you know, just like a movie or or whatever, you know. So that's a kind of interesting thing, too. Yeah, I just wanted to, you know, I kept chiming in there because uh, one of my things that I've been focused on is not just uh, centered stories because I've worked on a, a number of shows, you know, Pose and it, it, I've worked on mainly shows that have queer trans characters that just happen to be in the story. Like uh, everything's going to be okay. The, the showrunner who's in it is queer and Australian, but that's not the story. The story is about take, raising his half sisters. And But anyway, thinking about the, um, the centered story and that as much as I want a story centered, for any of our stories that have been marginalized, I want it to be flawed because otherwise we are morality tales. It's yeah. that, you know, it's like doing this explaining narrative. And one thing I know we did with By Hooker Brad Crook is we refuse to explain. We're going to put these characters on the screen and we're not going to explain it. And they're going to call each other he or she, you know, they're going to call each other he and the cops may call them she. And we're just not going to talk about it because that gives the audience a chance to make, the, you know, their own connection instead of explaining keeps you in a voyeuristic uh, place. And, and being perfect uh, or not flawed keeps you in a non-identifying place. And so that feels as crucial to me to have the flawed care. I'm fighting as much for that, you know, as, as much as having centered stories. Yeah. But I feel the representation, I do. I feel like I work with people that don't have the queer PTSD that I have. And so they take risks that actually I think are really bold. And I try to look at that and, and, and you know, challenge myself to, to take those risks because I do feel the burden of representation and how, when there's not a lot of it, you want to cover a lot of ground. You want to, you want to have it, you want to have it not be going, you know, going too messy too, you know, there, there's a way that I can police myself as well around that. You're mostly hired to work on things that you didn't necessarily write. That is true. Although, you know, the last um, 
film feature I did, I did rewrites with the writer who's phenomenal, Daniel Pearl, when uh, the show I'm on now, Dickinson, about Emily Dickinson in uh, Civil Wars, the season that I'm on, I was in the writer's room and before the writer's room. So uh, I'm much more involved in the, the, the creation of it and the sort of arc of this, the seasons. But it I is mean, a... Uh, we, you know, you and I were like, you know, like this for 15 or 20 years. And then lately we, we are not necessarily involved in each other's day to day. And I don't, I don't know what it, it's like to be a director. It's weird. <laughs> I know what it was like to be, you know, making by hook or by crook with you and to be, to be doing those kind of punk rock art years with you. But I wonder, you know, and my practice kind of looks weirdly the same where I'm kind yeah. of alone in a room trying to, uh, you know, and, yeah. and, but it seems to me that, that your practice probably looks really different. And I'm kind of curious what's, what's the same from all those years and what's, what's yeah. different when you walk on set or, or when you're in, involved in a project. Yeah. The same is that uh, my point of view is I bring into everything. So where I put a camera or think about a scene is, is, is my point of view. And, and I think any of us that are not fitting in the heteronormative society structure, we see the cracks in the facade. We see yeah. the constructed because yeah, we have that advantage. It's, it's a disadvantage for much of the time, but then it is also an, an advantage. So I think that that I get to bring to it. You know, when I first did Transparent was my first show and I've been doing 15 years of, you know, indie work and, and stuff I love, love, love. And, uh, you know, my favorite stuff is by the stuff that's the least seen, but um, it felt the same as directing. It just, uh, I got paid was one. And um, that was a huge thing. And, and, and the snacks were better, but there was a structure that was not, I had, I spent a lot of time working within these structures yeah. that, that I'm okay doing. I would, you know, I think a benefit of like, you know, a, a chaotic childhood is I understand crisis and sort of be hypervigilant and read, read a room and be, be present is the thing I like most about my job is aside from the creativity and all of that, um, you know, that it, it really entails that I be present and just sort of track and be in service of the project. Um, get, you know, keep my ego out of the way. But uh, but it is working. You're amazing at that. You've always been, you know, a, a, a people person, <laughs> um, and really good with people. I mean, is 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 working with actors your favorite part of the job, or is that is that like because it must be just one of like four parts of the job or something? Like if there were if there were like if you could divide it into parts, what parts would there be? I mean, I think the visual element, you know, because we're both very visual and. You know, because I was in a band, I was in, you know, a punk band, Tribate, for a decade plus. And uh, we were, uh, you know, really rough sounding punk band. But uh, but that kind of energy and, and the understanding of, I guess, building a structure. You know, that's one thing I got from my childhood with, uh, with you in the San Francisco early 90s was we had to build structures because the structures weren't there for us. So if you wanted to see yourself in the world, you had to make a world where you were seen and you were valuable. Yeah. <laughs> Like a lot of skill, you know, to do that. We're going to make our own record label. We're going to make our own cafe. We're going to make our own band. We're going to make our own. We're going to make our own everything. We make our own movie, and um, world making. So I feel like I carry that with me. So I understand these systems, and um, but I'd love the collaboration. I'm a collaborative person as well, and so it's the visual, it's the rhythm of a of a scene, and uh, working with actors I love because I was I was that weirdo kid who, you know, Vermont totally working class, poverty class, who read Uta Hagen's Respect for Acting and was just obsessed yeah. <laughs> with acting. And then we acted in our movie before, you know, I would transition. So I knew that was the only role that I would do because there were no other roles. There would be like a joke. You'd have to play a joke. That would be it. Um, anyway, it's weird. To, I haven't changed. 
but the mainstream is matching with what I'm doing in this way for the most part. You know, I get the most nervous, the most norm core, the more normal a show gets, the more anxious I get about it. I'm fine doing weird stuff, but, um, but what, like, what um, do you have like, um, I'm just really curious about this working with actors thing, you know, cause uh, I don't know. I'm just super curious about it because I know why I'm curious because I'm curious if there's some thing that you do with actors that you do again and again, and just, and it's kind of a, a directorial practice or something. Yeah, I do. Which you can sort of create like, um, like witchy kind of cast a spell to get something to the place where you want it to be. Are there like little tools in your toolbox for that? Yeah. I think the biggest thing is I ask questions, you know, like I'll, I'll watch a scene and then I'll go, what do you, you know, how does this feel when this person says this, what do you think is happening here? You know, instead of sometimes I'll give crappy directions, like (laughs) with with Anna Pack. And and I was like, I'm going to give you a terrible direction. She's like, all right, bring it on. And it, it was like, can you have this feeling in this, time frame because that's all the set we have you know like i'm getting i'm giving really bad directions but um but mostly i'm just really interested in it. i love it because like you prepare and you think about it and you look at the scene from every which way and then when you're on set you throw it all out and you just watch it and you just see you know you start to know what's and then it's like i just love it is i am totally present in that moment because i'm just thinking well what about this it makes me ask questions and, and so instead of i'm not into micromanaging or like say you know i think for some people that is their way or they hear it you're, a not, certain you're not the puppet master no, no. I, I like to engage in the, you know, any, I, I like to get to a point where we can go fuck up a take, you know, and just do it where right. uh, we try something that will fail. So setting I, people at ease. Yeah. But but also, I like that idea of asking questions. So you're kind of drawing it out um, yeah. of them and yeah. seeing what's there. It's like a, like what, however they answer that becomes a material that then you can respond to as well. Yeah. It's my, if not there to begin with, then then what yeah. are we doing? It reminds me of teaching. You know, the, I was thinking about this interview between you and I, and I was thinking about, um, well, I was just thinking about a lot of different things, but I think being a teacher and being a parent right, um, sort of coincide with this other weird way that I uh, uh, think uh, and make art. And so I, I think there's a weird thing that I've always done, which is not want to say the exact thing, not want to say the exact thing. I want to make art that goes like this and inscribes all around it and sort of inscribe, 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 and then create this kind of negative space of the thing that I'm actually talking about. But it gives all this space for the viewer to figure it out or like get there. You know, they kind of have space for their like, you know, kind of fizzy epiphany or something, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, good art, it's like a Rorschach test, right? If you're doing your I think for me, when I'm doing a project and people have different experiences or get really heated up, then I'm like, I feel on the right track. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But is, is, is actually a good sign, you know? I think that, you know, I remember, you know, I think that like w- when you're a parent and you just, I have a teenager right now. Everyone should know Silas is the godparent to both of my kids. I have two sons, yeah. an eight-year-old and a 16-year-old. Like um, so but, so you know, you, you kind of, as a parent, you can't tell them exactly, or can you, right? This is like my lifelong experiment. You kind of mm-hmm. can't tell them. They have to kind of, it has to like pop, you know, for themselves. And it's really weird because this is the same thing with teaching, where if you just kind of blah or shove it down their throat, they're not, they're not finding it themselves and there's no ownership and there's, well, no, there's no sort of like deep connection of it. Yeah. It's like, um, 
I mean, I think of it in terms of uh, good leadership, you know, is not about, I think in this society, people conflate confidence with competence. And so they think if you say the right thing and you do this, you know, that you're going to be good at your job. And, but actually the most, you know, competent leaders are usually very sensitive and reading cues and, and more quiet in their approach. They're not pushing their will, they're, they're facilitating something. And, uh, and that's, that's worked well for me as a director. It's, it's, it's not imposing my will. I mean, there's moments where you, you, you know, you have to push things along, but, uh, but yeah, it is about, I guess, just in engagement and sort of being present uh, in the process and not, I just think the myth, especially in directing, there's so much bullshit about like what it, it's just, it comes from a very white male Hollywood. I mean, birth of a nation was the beginning of Hollywood right. film and KKK propaganda. So that just says it all, you know, what we're battling, we're still battling. Yeah. Um, so that hasn't changed, but you know, I wanted to ask you about your book because I feel like this idea of art activism and art as separate. I don't, I don't think that they're separate. Like the show I'm on right now is, asking the question of can can Emily Dickinson be a wartime poet even though she didn't leave her house in her hometown <laughs> you know? great question yeah. and, and you know Walt Whitman was like in the hospitals like confront the bloody stump you know but Emily was and they were both writing about all the experience of war. that was her most prolific time and I just think again in this society wants to or our culture wants to separate things you know it's yeah. uh it's right and wrong, or it's like, you know, manifest destiny is rugged individualism. And, but I, I just think that the personal, I think what gets alienating for people is that the political can feel like you lose a sense of self or you're doing the wrong. There's a lot of rules. And I'm just curious about, cause I've always thought of your work as political to me because it's a making me feel emotional in a way that I haven't in an area that I haven't thought about towards new characters and voices. Like there's something very profound about that. And so I wondered with writing, your book and, um, and, and dealing with, you know, theory and intense personal loss, you know, with, with, uh, your mom and your dad, um, I guess the, the process for you about that in, in, in getting released in the pandemic and like, I guess curious about how that's been for you. Um, I think, you know, the first part of what you were saying, you know, about, um, 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 um what art can do, you know, um, First, you know, I think it's for me as as the person I am, it's just important to not be prescriptive for what other people should be doing, basically, or what art should do for me. You know, um, I like to think that each of us are are figuring something out and we have some weird questions and we have our own way of doing things. And so to be prescriptive or to pre-categorize things would be to lose, uh, plausibly lose something. And so um, so there's that. And I think that, I think you're right, plenty of time art uh, and activism overlap. And there's certainly um, art that immediately changes the world and immediate, there's an immediate effect, you know, when it drops onto the, into the, into the culture, you know, Um, and and there's, there's other stuff that, you know, it's sort of, it's taken the long view of it, of its effect, or it, or it has like a, just weird kind of um, microbial effects that's, you know, like, there's just no way to tell basically, uh, what a work of art is doing. And even if it's um, contaminated or impure in some way, or has characters that are imperfect, um, or, or, or um, you know, other kinds of abstractions even, you know, so there's not even an imperfect character, it just seems to be quite abstract. There's, there's ways that, uh, for me, even um, things that defy categorization, for example, um, uh, and are somewhat mysterious, those things are resistant in their own way uh, to 
category. And so since I've been tortured by category for my entire life, there's a way that I took some of that vehemence, that sort of anti-categorical thinking. And, and I know sometimes we have to do it. And, and many times the, it's strategic. And so we go into these- Do you mind if I ask like what categories specifically you're resisting? <laughs> you have by, um, tortured yeah. by- Mainly, and, and uh, you know, k- tortured by the, the this like bina- binary of, of man and woman, you know, um, and but you know, e- even of late, uh, there are many many categories where <clears throat> people are, you know, um, there's just places where people want to feel they want to feel right and they want to feel okay, and the way that they're finding to do that is to is to psychologically wash themselves clean of, of their own imperfections, you know? And so it creates a kind of polarization. That's, that's, um, uh, uh, I don't know. I think, I think polarization is great. And it, and actually, you know, I feel like, you know, some radicalism pulls things along. And so we actually need it, you know, so I wouldn't uh, even, I wouldn't even go that far, but I I just want to, well, I mean, just say that sometimes that, I just wanted to finish my thought, which is to say that sometimes this sense of poetics or, or this this um, abstraction or these weird philosophical things um, that that sort of like resist kinds of mastery and they resist, like they, they don't let us pin them down in certain ways, um, that that kind of thing, say, could become a practice for the viewer of receiving information in a way that's not about mastery you know, and it's not about, I got the story. I know the story. It's kind of like, did I get that? Am I getting this? And those kinds of challenges can in practice um, can start to uh, mean that you um, kind of tread more lightly on, on, uh, on, um, on polarization as well. Does that make sense? It does. I just, yeah, I guess that a lot of thoughts about it, but you know, this whole idea of yeah, I mean, we're all we're all in this polarized place, and it's true that, like, I mean, I, the evil person that's left off the you know, White House is gone, but all the legacy of him, you know, what he is, he's he used to be the uh, status quo. He's the anomaly now, but but not quite. It's a shifting. It's a, a shifting. Um, I've watched it. I, I was teaching in Staten Island middle school kids, and when Obama was running for a second term, and they understood gay marriage. Right. They understood what all these, you know, generations above them cannot grasp. They're like, oh, yeah, I don't, I'm not into that. Or that. They might even be homophobic, but they're like, but that, that that's like my, not my thing to yeah. choose. Somebody yeah, that part's easy now. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, we all want to be seen. You know, we all want to belong versus fit in. And I think that we are in a society that really wants us to try to fit in. And uh, and we, you know, again, we are paying a price. I mean, I think in this country, uh uh, this uh, denial is, is at a high price. It's almost like, um, uh, you know, like racism, misogyny, classism is an addiction in this country because it can't, it can't acknowledge it. So it can't ever go forward from it. So there's this, which is separate from what you were saying, but I just feel like this whole um, way that we can be a paradox. And I feel like a walking paradox and what art does is it embraces the paradox and what activism often does is try to make it very clear as a right and a wrong way. And so maybe, I feel like that's why both are so crucial, you know, to be personal, messy, messiness. I'm always about the mess, not the message. I think it's really, I, I relate to the message. I mean, the mess and, instead of the message. And I think most people do. And so I think that's, that's that intersection, you know, of, of, <laughs> I love that. of art and, and, 
and activism and uh and you know i love that we're so opposite like i'm like i'm trans i'm trans i'm trans you know i say it all day long i don't care i, I like I'll, I'll use it uh you know even with my you know my work not use it but you know i don't mind if i'm being it, sometimes it's reductive and of course i've been the year of many different people like the year of the woman the year of the queer the you know the year of the trans like you always worry you're going to be disposed you know because you're just a friend um, or the backlash is going to be harsh like i'm always waiting for that anvil to drop you know because I've, I've made myself this identity but i also feel like it's important for me to do that and my band we did that we were you know in a punk scene as a queer band and we played in a lot of straight places and mostly that was really good and sometimes it was hostile but it those points of identification were really important, but equally important to me is the intimate personal work that is like the work that you've done your whole life. And, and with your book, it just, it really marries these ideas of, of something that's very visceral and, uh, but also theoretical at, at the same time. So, uh, I don't know that we're opposite, really. I think that we both are happy to embrace ideas that we um, feel connected with you know? And so when it comes to words, um, you know, there's some that make sense to you and, and, and so you take them up and there are other ones that make sense to me. So I, I take them up, you know? Um, and it's not really anything other than that, you know, it's kind of w words that I like, you know, <laughs> and words no, I that you like and, uh, and, and letting them uh, do that work, you know, I mean, even sort of, um, I teach this whole class about, um, things being permeable, basically. It's called collisions explain everything. And it's kind of reading after reading, um, thinker after thinker, all these different philosophers about how interconnected we all are and how uh, how we, um, you know, touch each other when we impress upon each other. And our conversation right now, you're gonna be different afterward. I'm gonna be different afterward. Uh, the sound person's gonna be different. Every We're changing all the time. And so that, um, that sort of constant um, sense of impressionability and 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 change is the thing that I'm most excited about. So then, so then, sort of avoiding um, and so like a practice of avoiding a sense of stasis, whether it be in my identity or anything, is 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 sort of more where I'm at. It's not necessarily a rejection of things, in things in particular. It's a rejection of stasis and and sort of an, a, a trying to figure out. And it's hard <laughs> to be in a practice of letting things change and letting. Um, uh, and move and sort of moving always into specificity. Um, and so, but, you know, also acknowledging that, that these categories, words, uh, this is language and it's useful to us. <laughs> it means you and I are having this great conversation and connecting, even if not every sentence we're uttering to each other yeah. is exactly what we meant to say. At least we spoke and we exchanged um, and we sort of created a field of love by those words being spoken. So it's, it's oh, I feel it's, love. I love that. <laughs> it's only positive. But I know um, I'm laughing because I will finish your thought and then I'll say my final. Uh, yeah. I mean, and that's in some sense also what uh, the book is, is seeking to do yeah, in some ways there's, there's all these uh, stories in it uh, from my life and, and, and uh, some, you know, and, and you have to have something to hang, you know, you have to, so my, you know, I was like, I felt all these coincidences uh, happening with my birth mother when I found her and I was trying to make sense of that, you know, um, if, if, if like I had thought everything is about nurture and not nature, then why am I having these kind of weird similarities with the birth mother? And so 
And then I have these, uh, you know, kids that are adopted and they're not necessarily biologically related to me. And how have I uh, impressed upon them? And then I started to be able to swirl around into that, that stuff, into the theory that I've been reading and the uh, art practice that I have. And I started to sort of knit something together. It's an experiment basically, but you know, it, uh, it does have, um, it does have a, a lot of facets to it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about the interconnectedness because I feel like, uh, COVID is the opportunity in our time to realize that we're interconnected, whether we want to acknowledge it or whether we like it or not, we are. Yeah. We are inter- and if we don't take care of part of our society, we will, it will impact the rest of our society. And I think that's always been true. I think that, you know, all of the, the things that impact marginalized people also impact the people that get to escape it, you know, and I, and I, not that I'm going to cry for the, the, you know, the rich and entitled, but it is, I think it's a sickness that affects everybody. And, um, so it's, it's interesting that you wrote this book before the pandemic, you know, in this way that, and I was always laughing because I was thinking about like, yeah, I don't mind saying I'm, I'm trans, I'm this and that, you know, I try to be out all the time. But I remember we had this one like sort of heated text uh, argument, uh, you know, about something in, around identity. And at one point you just said, I like large mammals or something. And it was like your argument. And it just made me laugh so hard because I was like, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but it does have everything to do with how you think of the world. And I love that perspective. <laughs> So, yeah, I love particles. I love organisms. Um, <laughs> well, I was trying to figure out what to read and I was sort of going back and forth between this sort of grim. I mean, you know, let's face it. The book is sort of, um, you know, it, it, it's it's it, it's kind of poetic and, and elegiac and, and uh, it's 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 uh, there's a couple of funny parts. But in general, um, you know, there it's it kind of deals with a little bit with um, wonder and yeah. also with with grief. Um, but um, anyway, let's see what I came up with here. You know what? I'm going to read the um, introduction to the meteorite because it's it's a good, it's a little jazzier than the sad part I was going to read about my dad slowly <laughs> dying of dementia. So to set this up, this uh, is uh, the part of the book where I'm returning from a trip to Houston. And um, I have, in the, in the meantime, I've ordered this meteorite. Uh, on eBay, which is my first eBay purchase ever. Um, and it's, it, it's this huge meteorite. Um, and so uh, the miracle of eBay is, is, is dawning on me, but also the miracle that there's going to be a meteorite at my house when I get back from Houston is making me crazy. And so I walk in and, and uh, we see the box on the porch. And so that, that's the setup. And, um, and you don't know this, but you know, I'm a diehard materialist. I'm, I'm excited about space, but I'm just excited about materials and particles and gunk and all of this stuff. So large mammals, large mammals, large mammals. Um, I walk in back from Houston, greeted the baby and Maggie. And then we, all of us at once noticed the small box on the front porch. I hauled it into the house and onto our dinner table, held my breath. They watched while I got a knife. There was only the sound of cardboard tearing, and then I retrieved a bowling ball of a thing suffocated in bubble wrap, which appeared to be accompanied by zot, neither invoice nor receipt, no language, remarkably heavy, and bandaged like this in a relentless sad tape job that looked like it had been performed by a mental patient. Maggie backed away, suddenly nervous, pulled Iggy aside by the back of his shirt. I looked at them and back at the thing, unwrapped it while they watched. There it was 
an iron glob of gum. It was buzzing, it was glowing, just smaller than a human head, but much heavier, unbelievably heavy for its size, like it had a different type of gravity that applied to it, an alien gravity might have applied. It was dark gray, but metallic too, and had deep pits lined in black, gooey, tortuous crevices, folds which were also penetrated by black and burnished in zigs and snoods, coruscant at its facets or scallops, its outermost convexities, which could have been observed at this point to have been no less vulnerable for being lustrous. It was a turtle from the event horizon, a dog head from Jupiter. All the weight gave two simultaneous and opposite impressions. The impression that it would like to have squirmed away, dropped away maybe, barreled right through the earth and on into the empty blue-black of space, and a kind of stalwart noble servitude unstained by fear. I am here telling you, it was saying, hello. Do you think it's radioactive? Are you sure about this rock? Maggie refused to touch it, pulled Iggy out of the room before relenting just a moment later. We all touched it at once, gingerly, guilelessly. We stared. It was beautiful in the most banal and obvious sense of the word. I mean, plainly and strongly seductive, erotic. It did occur to me that it might spy on us or resubstantiate like a compressed foam Jesus into some sort of elephantine cuttlefish overlord, so I didn't know where to keep it overnight. Maggie was astonished. How do you know it's real? She asked several times. I showed her a small card I had finally uncovered, swaddled beneath the meteorite. Here's an info card, I said. Uh, he said he would send a certificate of authenticity, but I don't see anything here. Maggie reads the card and says, found 1527. Argentina, yeah, looks like the colonizing Spaniards came upon a group of people who showed them this field, Campo del Cielo in 1527. So these rocks fell while humans watched. I treated the meteorite as I would any guest and laid it gently down on a small red wool coaster and then got under my own covers to sleep. I dreamed that for the rest of my life, I would reinvest all of the money that came in from selling artwork to purchase more and more pieces of this particular meteorite, the Campo del Cielo. I would spend my life reuniting the fragments and slowly I would become famous, an artist known for this obsession. And when they were all back together, all of the pieces in one room, there would be a Terminator-like rise of the machines via this metallic reunification, a big bang in reverse. This thing I, I had caused, this thing I knew to do. I would be an agent of divine material chaos, but it wouldn't be a drag. It would be fate. It would be lovely and epic and right like the best heroine, but rather than singly ecstatic, encased in ugly nods, it would be ubiquitously publicly salutary. The stress of the world would gather into a point and having become too dense to be supported by the web of our collective desire would whirl into a baby black hole and drop all of the matter of our galaxy through an interstellar poop chute into a teardrop shaped bag of shit, which would land in some nature canyon somewhere. It, terrestrial intersubjective tension and its more intellectual cousin, torsion would then start again so meekly that it might be mistaken for the weak force itself, gravity. It would glow and the magnetic field would start to creep around a new earth in another part of the still observable universe. We'd all die, but our constituent pieces would become other much cooler stuff. I woke up horny. In the morning, I decided to take the meteorite out of the house, but didn't know how to carry it. I chose a large clean canvas tote and tried not to balk it around too much as I walked. It was metal, but it may as well have been flesh and bone. It was clearly alive to me, an iron creature. On a shelf just above my welder, I let it sit in my studio for three days without looking at it again. 
But then things started to happen. Unbelievable things happened. <laughs> Good place to end. <laughs> that meter, that is that, yeah, it is insanely heavy for the size of it. It's, it, it does feel like it's another, another gravity relationship. It is weird. Yeah. There's, there's not anything on earth that you pick up that that's that size, but also that heavy. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's, you're interdimensional when you're dealing with it. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It's a thing like to think that we know anything, you know, if you just look around the world that we inhabit and just realize that we just don't know shit. This is true. Mm-hmm. But, um, well, yeah, that was, that was amazing. And, uh, uh, it's been so great to be on, um, launch left. And I'm really excited to get to have this conversation with you. Harry Dodge, and um, thank you. It's been great talking to you, Silas, and thanks. Thanks for having us, and thanks for listening, everybody. Launch Left aims to create an intentional space that highlights and empowers all artists for whom radical creativity is not a choice, but a necessity. Launch Left begins with music, but its ultimate aim is to launch left-of-center artists in all creative fields.